Good morning, Warren, and welcome to the Local Paleo Show. Good morning to you, Alan, and thank you for having me. Absolutely, it's our pleasure. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing in Spain? Wonderful, thank you, Alan. Can't complain at all. And the weather's fine too, so what more could one ask for? <laughs> Can't complain. Uh, what's, what's your usual reply? Can't complain, but if I did... No one would listen anyway. Okay. Is that uh, a typical British response or something? <laughs> uh, it could be, Warren. It could be. I don't know. I guess as I'm British, I can own it. Why not? Step up or lift, right? It's, uh, it's, yes. a, it's a very realistic answer. Most, <laughs> it is. most people don't care. Okay. So, Warren, uh, you and I met on LinkedIn. You approached me and you wanted to tell us about your book. And here you are. Thank yeah. you on our show and uh, so by trade you are uh, and let me make sure I pronounce this right acupuncturist correct uh, those fancy words it's hard for me to pronounce so acupuncturist and author of two books your mitochondria key to health and longevity and the first one was reality we create which we will not talk about today. So regarding your background, um, can you give us a short version of your background, how you get where you are now? Well, I mean, what got me interested in that? I mean, I was uh, primarily a psychotherapist before that, uh, before acupuncture, but then I would get headaches occasionally. And uh, so I tried conventional medicine and that didn't work. And I tried a... Uh, an old acupuncturist down the street from me and my headache went away for like six months and so that really got me interested and so I did a, a five-year training program in acupuncture to become licensed in that and that's how I you know that's how I got into acupuncture. Is that a combined uh, Chinese medicine and acupuncture or just straight up acupuncture? No it's both uh, Chinese medicine and acupuncturist. Yeah, and, we have a score like that in Austin. Yeah, no, you have two of them, in fact. Two, two of them. Mm -hmm. um, well, I've done something new. I knew of only one. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you come about to write your books? Well, so here in the uh, clinic, uh, we have uh, six other acupuncturists uh, that you know practice here, and uh, our focus has been on fertility and infertility. And what we begin to notice uh, that, you know, we would stabilize a woman's cycle. She would start feeling a lot better. She would make an attempt to get pregnant and the uh, pregnancy would fail within the first three months. And, you know, that, that, that's kind of a typical observation. So at that level, I started looking at, you know, what may be responsible for uh, causing that, and and I came up uh, came onto the mitochondria, and it turns out like a female egg has like a hundred thousand mitochondria in it, mm -hmm. and if you think, I mean, like a normal skin cell, for example, would have like a, a hundred mitochondria. In it. Mm -hmm. So we have this huge egg, and it, and if you think about it, within the first three months of um, of life. When, when con once conception occurs, there's this tremendous growth that occurs from a single cell organism to a multi-cell organism. 
And it is the mitochondria that drive that, that provide the energy for all of that uh, growth to occur. And conversely, if, you know, if the mitochondria are damaged or there's insufficient energy, then what happens is you have failure of conception that occurs. So, you know, once I started looking at that, I changed up our protocol to uh, address, you know, and started providing some nutrients and some more herbs that are specific to the mitochondria. Okay, so maybe we should step back a little bit. Uh, can you tell us what is the mitochondria? Because for most people, that's a very mysterious word. Yeah. So the, the mitochondria, uh, I mean, they're, they're referred to as organelles within the cell, and they, they reside within each of the cells of our cells. And they produce uh, ATP, which is uh, adrenosome triphosphate. And that is the energy currency of the body. So, I mean, the, the exploration in this book was that most people kind of think that they're you know, they, they think of the food that they're eating, goes down into the, you know, intestines, broken down into nutrients, and that supplies the body. Well, it, it's, all, it's really much more complex than that. So all of our cells have mitochondria and they're producing energy. With that, that, you know, without the mitochondria, we wouldn't be here. And so they're a fundamental substrate of, you know, what's going on. And I'll just say one other thing about this. I mean, evolutionary wise it's been like you know millions of years ago all that was was on the planet was these single cell organisms and they were limited about how big they could grow because of gravity they got too big you know gravity would crush them so something really unusual happened at one time and that was uh, one organism was engulfing another organism to eat it to digest it and there was a deal made and the deal was, hey, look, don't eat me. I'll reside inside of you and make all the energy for your body, and you provide me the nutrients. And um, that fundamental statement, that fundamental evolutionary stage allowed what we call specialization to occur. So like specialization is our heart, our bones. I mean, like at the cellular level, there's all these structures within within the cell that support the cell, that allow it to, uh, you know, there's cytoplasma, which, you know, recycles components. All of that occurred because of that fundamental evolutionary step of incorporating the mitochondria for the internal energy production into the cell. Okay, so I guess um, the next step would be how to keep the mitochondria healthy? What what uh, what would clog it up, so to speak, to not function properly? Well, well, let me back up just a second and give you the scope of what we're looking at. So, like for example, like I mentioned, our skin cell may have like a hundred mitochondria in it, and, and so like mitochondria production will drive you know wrinkling of the skin. If, you know, mitochondria aren't nourished, then you'll see accelerated aging occurring because, you know, they're not producing energy to nourish itself. But on the larger scope, what we have to look at is like a heart cell, which is called a cardiomyocyte. 
cardiomyocyte will have anywhere from five to 8,000 mitochondria in the cell, constantly producing ATP to drive the expansion and the contraction of the heart, right? So, you know, those places where there's disease categories, you know, what we would call age-related diseases, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, neurodegeneration, arthritis, all those things are uh, fundamentally driven by the mitochondria. So another place to think about is like what's happening in our brain. You know, there's all of these neurons firing and every firing that occurs in the brain requires uh, an, a unit of ATP to drive it. So, you know, all the cell, I mean, all the nerve endings, I mean, that are all that energy flowing down there is driven by ATP. So, you know, things like neurodegeneration becomes a fundamental player here with the mitochondria. So to your question, you know, what's important here? The, the important thing is like, so right now you and I are sitting at our desk, right? And one of the first things that occurs is uh, low oxygen content. That mitochondria are just like little engines and they require uh, oxygen. And so when you and I are sitting here, you know, what's happening is there's kind of what's a shallow breathing occurring. And, you know, it's not a full breath. And so over time, that drives hypoxia, low oxygen content. And so, you know, sitting all day is one of the great issues coming on with people's health now. Mm -hmm. uh, so number one would be oxygen. <laughs> it really requires oxygen. So for myself, you know, about every 15 minutes, I'll go take a walk around the clinic, <laughs> visit some of the practitioners, see what's going on. And then I do quite a bit of exercise, you know, outside of the clinic. <laughs> The other issue here, so number one would be oxygen. Number two would be like um, mild exercise. Notice I qualified that as mild. So mild exercise would be, you know, walking, biking, anything like that. I mean, if you're doing rigorous exercise, that's okay, right? I'm not saying not do that, but the mild exercise uh, drives biogenesis, which is creation of new mitochondria and it also, like if you've been kind of sedentary for a while, it kind of clears out the internal pathways in the mitochondria for the production of ATP. You know, the, the next one would, is like, um, it's what's really important is um, the mitochondria really need, so there's two sources of energy, right? One is uh, energy derived from sugars. Mm -hmm for the mitochondria. And the second one is energy derived from fats. So you know, we've talked about that uh, for the mitochondria, ATP is the, is the energy product of the mitochondria. And, right. and so for every unit of sugar you ingest, you're gonna get two units of ATP out, right? For every unit of fats that you ingest, you're gonna get like 32 units of ATP out. So, you know, as a chef, I mean, what does that say about your eating, right?
right? I mean, about, you know, the approach to eating there. Well, actually, I, I, I don't follow the keto diet, which is mostly uh, fat. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. But I do follow the paleo diet and, um, and being French um, and a nutritionist, I tend to focus only on healthy fats. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my salad dressing uses uh, only virgin, organic uh, virgin olive oil. oil. My, uh, for cooking, I use only coconut oil. Uh, I do take in, as in uh, medication, so to speak, I do take in uh, a tablespoon of uh, coconut oil in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, and I would put a pad of grass-fed butter in my, uh, in my hot chocolate in the morning as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not afraid of fat because I'm French, but um, I also don't push it to, uh, to the keto level. Mm -hmm. I, I like to, personally, I like to keep my diet balanced, yeah. right? freshness and all that. So going back to your question, um, so what you're basically confirming is that, at least for some people, the keto diet would be a good choice for mitochondria's health right um but they need to also add the other elements the exercise and yeah um, right so so i mean so you know from my point of view good quality fats are like you know good quality butter you know good quality i mean uh, a red meat can be okay the fats in the meat the, the fats in the chicken are okay uh I mean, it's just the quality issue here that, you know, and you're going to get much more energy production, ATP production from the good quality fats as opposed to the carbohydrates and the sugars. It's just, right. and the, the, the thing that, you know, I discuss in there is that the carbohydrates and the sugars, they drive a process called reactive oxygen species, which are, I mean, they're, they're kind of like a radicalized, uh, they're kind of like radioactive material. And, and they have the ability to punch holes in the membrane of both the cells and the mitochondria because they're so charged. And, right. and so, it, and, you know, you can imagine that sets, us, sets up an inflammatory response, which is that's going to drive the aging process even more, accelerate the aging process. Right. So, so speaking, speaking of which, again, we need to repeat the fact that uh, there's fats and fats. There's good fats and bad fats. That's right. Uh, personally, I tend to focus on omega-3 fatty acids. Right. Which are, you know, uh, and my understanding, and I'm not an expert in mitochondria, but uh, the cell walls are porous and uh, omega-6 fatty acid tend to either block them or create inflammation. Can you talk to us about this? Yeah, I mean, so, so, so here, you know, where we're working right now in this discussion is that it, it is a molecular level, right? At yes. the level of the cell. And it's totally amazing what's happening at that level. I mean, so your comment it's like, you know, it's this, these openings. Well, these openings actually are in the cell. They're all over the cell surface. And they're like little 
little doors that open up and shut. And, and this opening and shutting is driven by the mitochondria, the action of the mitochondria. And so they can selectively let waste products out of the cell and they can selectively let, you know, nutrients into the cell. And, you know, at that level, it becomes really quite amazing, like, you know, all these processes that's going on in the cell. Yeah, the body, the, the, the body is an amazing uh, amazing is a limited word to describe how <clears throat> uh, impressive the body is designed and how it operates. Yeah, um, yeah, really. Okay, so we were talking about fats and how the quality of the fat influences the health of the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. um, is it also true that saturated fat of bad quality, for example, Crisco, hydrogen fats, and so on, would tend to clog up the, the cell and the, my, my the, the, my, the membranes. Yes. They would uh, yes. tend to damage the membranes. Yes. Yep. So, so there's a, a couple of things here. So the fats are a good thing, but the other thing that's important, again, from your perspective, is fiber. So, so let me lay out the framework here, what we're looking at. So like in the, in the large intestines, there's a whole, what we call a microbiome, a whole bacteria content. And that environment there is anaerobic, uh, means the bacteria don't use oxygen. But the interesting thing is, is they take all of this, you know, fiber that can't be digested and they ferment it and they make what's called a short chain fatty acid or butyrate. Now, the mitochondria in the colonocytes, that's the, so remember previously I mentioned the, the, um, the heart cells, how many mitochondria in there? Well, the colonocytes, which are the colon cells, also have mitochondria in there producing, you know, energy. And those guys love, you know, the butyrate and the short-chain fatty acids, you know, as an energy source. Now, the issue, which I think, you know, you can uh, comment on here, is our, our intake of fiber has been substantially reduced from where it was like 100 years ago. Yeah. Right. And it has a profound influence on the disease process. Um, and... Also, well, I mean, the short chain fatty acids, I mean, like they're, they're beneficial for diabetes, they're beneficial for cardiovascular issues and neurodegeneration, you know, they improve those things. I mean, because they, I mean, the, the mitochondria and the colon use them, but then they're just kind of used all over the body. They're just so fundamental to, I mean, stopping inflammation. So we're, what we're looking at here is an inflammatory process that's been accelerated. And, you, you know, the acceleration is in large part, you know, due to food, the okay. food that we eat. So is short-chain fatty acid only created in the colon yep. through fibers, uh, or is it possible to ingest short-chain? Well, I mean, there are, I mean, there's definitely supplements out there like fructooleosaccharides, which are short chain fatty acids, you know, and 
I mean, they're fiber, but then they're they're broken down into the and fermented in the large intestines, and then they produce the short chain fatty acids from it. You're not going to find a a supplement with short chain fatty acids by itself. Okay, so um, then what is your recommendation? Uh, you know, of course, there's uh, the usual eight servings of um, fruits and vegetables a day. Um, any particular fruits and vegetables, or do you uh, do you have favorites, for example? Well, I mean, the things that have a lot, that create a lot a lot of short chain fatty acids are like radishes or Jerusalem artichokes or you know artichokes or bananas or things like that. Those are excellent in carrots. I mean, those are excellent sources. Um, but you know, for for the people that we see here in the clinic, I mean, there's a transition period. I mean, a lot of people they come in and they think they're eating really clean, but I mean, they're you know, it's just far from it. And you know, their right. consumption of fibers are just you know minimal. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you know the the thinking here is you you just have to understand. I mean, if if you're cleaning up your diet you know, what you're thinking that you're only shopping in the perimeter of your grocery store. You're not going yeah. into those interior aisles because that's yeah, where yeah. all the processed foods are. And yes, yes. So it, it kind of, you know, I mean, kind of makes it a lot easier to shop. Right. So I'm good on the radishes and the bananas. I'm short on the Jerusalem artichoke. <laughs> I'm good on the carrots. Yep. Uh, and I make sure I make sure always have salad every single day. Yeah. Uh, typically, mixed greens, you know. And I would add uh, uh, broccoli and radishes and nuts mm -hmm. to it, and so on. Yeah. So that would be, for example, a, a, a one example of good kind of fiber, right? Yep, that's that, and that's going to produce those beneficial bacteria. <laughs> in the large intestines, which are going to produce the short-chain fatty acids. Now, on this particular uh, subject, does um, soluble fiber versus insoluble fiber have any different effect? Well, a soluble fiber like a carbohydrate? Mm-hmm. I mean, no. it, yeah, I mean it, it doesn't have a beneficial effect. Okay. I mean, you're looking for, I mean, the, the consumption of fiber, insoluble fiber is so low, and, and the issue is it's, that's, that's how the fermentation process occurs in the large intestines with the insoluble fiber. Right, right. So for the listeners out there, uh, only the kind of fibers you chew on, not the, the kind you, you swallow. <laughs> if you don't have to chew it, then it's not it's not the right kind of fiber. Yeah, there goes that soft bread and all that stuff. Right. So, yeah, and all these um, liquid sugar drinks kind of things, and yeah, it's kind of um, uh, processed um, grains, and which uh, br brings us back to the diet issue. Uh, do you recommend a particular diet for mitochondria health, or what's your recommendation on that? You know, so like we see a lot of patients that are in different degrees, you know, and what I want to do is try to make it easy, you know, for people to make transitions. And so 
you know, we just try to lay out the overall approach here and, you know, really stress to them how important it is to get the fibers in. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, then we try to give them a little bit of ed- education about what's going on in the, the food industry, it, food industry in the context of, uh, you know, the uh, cattle and all that stuff. I mean, you know, they're, you, they're, they're because of their, the way that they're, you know, marketed. I mean, they, there's a lot of antibiotic use going into the cattle, the chicken, the pork, and all of that has a detrimental effect on what's happening in the gut and then in turn the mitochondria. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, we're fully aware of the issue. Uh, we've, we've talked to farmers and ranchers and you know, I'm absolutely against uh, using corn, soy, and alfalfa genetically engineered yeah. because it, 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 it the the GMO ready crops are actually uh, antibiotics. They actually right. kill the, the beneficial bacteria in the in the gut. So. Yeah we have a double whammy effect. You're getting the wrong kind of fat from the, the wrong kind of ingredient like soy and, and, and corn, but you also get the genetically engineered part, which is designed to kill bacteria in the ground and on the you know, bugs and so on and so forth. So it gets into our gut and it damages our flora, I mean, um, internal flora and uh, affects how we digest your food, including the fibers and so on and so forth. So there's a chain effect that's extremely important that we are trying to repeat over and over again in this show that we need people to understand that it's not just the type of food you eat, it's the quality of the food that's very important. Right. Uh, a previous guest two days ago made a good comment about this. Is she said it's not just the food you eat; it's the food that the f- your food eats that's important. The food that your food eats. Oh, the food that your bacteria eats is important. Is that what she means by that? No, she was referring to the food that the cows is eating, the pig is eating, the chicken oh, yeah, is yeah, eating yeah. is yeah. important as well. It's not just. You don't just buy beef, just beef. You choose to buy beef from industrial production or you buy beef uh, grass-fed that feeds on grass, right. which is their natural food, not on industrial food like we mentioned before, corn and soy. Yeah. Well, so like what you're, so it, it's, it's really, I mean, I'm, a, I'm actually writing my third book now about the microbiome. And, uh-huh. and but the what you're referring to is it's the plant shikimate pathway, and okay. the plant shikimate pathway. And so the neuro. So we're talking about neurodegeneration now, Parkinson, yeah. things like that. You know, which we I've already given the reference for the mitochondria. But the the neurotransmitters like the serotonin, the dopamine, the norepinephrine, all that stuff. Our body doesn't make those on its own comes from uh, the plants and it's typically it's the shikimate pathway which makes those enzymes which then come in and interact with the bacteria in the gut. So so when you're talking about Roundup and GMO and you know all that all of that you know basically breaks that pathway and so 
then we begin to see a rising occurrence like with, you know, kids as ADD, mm-hmm. you know, attention deficit disorder, or it's like depression or anxiety with adults. And that's all, you know, driven as a gut-related issue. Now, you know, which is totally different when, than what the pharmaceutical industry is telling us. Yes, yes. Uh, would you uh, include autism as part of this uh, spectrum? Yep, I would. So without stretching? Generally, we see that coupled with antibiotics. So, so with autism, here's what we see. We see that there's a, that there's a um, cesarean birth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? And so, so there's a cesarean birth, and then from there we see rounds of antibiotics due to ear infections or things like that. So all of that ends up profoundly affecting the microbiome. What, what we should explain when we mention cesarean is that the fact that through natural birth, when the baby goes through the birth canal, the, the mother is actually seeding the baby with uh, beneficial bacteria, which would help protect the baby against infections. Right. Then the doctors typically make it worse by... Um, constantly bombarding this kid with antibiotics will would further damage the, the friendly bacteria. And That's so right. it's a cycle that keeps on repeating itself. Right. And, and they can see, you know, like the kids that are cesarean birth, generally when they looked at longitudinal studies, like in England and places like that, they'll see that those kids are generally obese. Right. So another, another important factor I forgot to mention is breastfeeding. Yep. To the, to the breast milk, the, the mother is actually also seeding friendly bacteria into this, the, the kid's body. And what the, the scandal is, in my opinion, is that they are now forcing these multiple vaccines on kids that don't have an immune system built up already. Right, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen until six months of age. Right, at least, and then look how they do it. They start extremely early on, might mm-hmm. even uh, in some case just a few days after birth. And not only that, but they, they went from like six to eight when I was a kid, now to what, 30 different vaccines now in a period of what? You probably know better than me. I'm not a doctor, so. I, I don't have that number. But, I mean, you know, you have to be, you know, a parent has to be really diligent for their kid. So I want to share one other thing here so that, so you get the full implication. So the, the you remember early on in the discussion I showed, I mean, I said that the mitochondria, like the egg, female egg has 100,000 mitochondria in it, right? Mm, right. And so here's something totally interesting that, that egg, as soon as there's conception occurs with the sperm cell, the mitochondria in that egg kill off all the male mitochondria. So, uh-huh. yeah, so the, <laughs> so you <laughs> It starts early. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, like, genetically, I mean, there's kind of like a mitochondria Eve. It gets past, I mean, the, the female, you could, you know, back us up to a mitochondria because whether you're male or female, you have your mother's mitochondria in there, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the next thing. 
So you mentioned birth, right? So the way a birth happens, it's, you know, the kid is head down, face towards the butt in the birth process. And so what happens is kind of like a tube of toothpaste. The kid gets a, a heavy dose of uh, vaginal bacteria and a heavy dose of uh, rectal bacteria. And that's how they populate themselves. I mean, they're, they're streams. So let's compare that to a cesarean operation. What happens is, you know, they're getting, uh, they're getting exposed to the environment around them, the doctors around them, the bacteria, and the skin of the mother, which is totally different than, you know, what, the, what they would normally be exposed to. Mm. So, you know, the female really reigns supreme here. You know, at that level, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, for for the sake of expediency, it's a shame that it's coming back, and I'm glad that it does come back. But for, the, for a while, during the 70s on, it was uh, more efficient and more um, profitable to do cesarean than to wait hours for the the baby to come around, right? The natural time, the natural cycle. Yeah. Yes, yes. So again, we go back to the same old issue that Mark and I are hopping on as a Western medicine is all about profits versus the care of the people on, you know, in this case, the, the mother and the baby. But, yeah. but I'm I glad this I, is reversing. I, I, you know, I mean, I try to make it, I, at one level, I agree with you, but at the other level, I mean, like, it's kind of, I mean, Western medicine has become so focused on, like, you know, finding a cure, like, you know, for cancer or things like that. And it's like that they miss, you know, they miss the forest, yeah. you know, they, they miss, they miss the effects of the mitochondria on our health, or they miss the effects of the microbiome on our health. And it's just within the last... 10 years, there's 10 years that there's been a, you know, a big emphasis on both mitochondria and microbiome research and really beginning to understand it, mm -hmm. you know, how it affects our health. Yes, yes. Um, what was, Mark, what was the name of this uh, lady doctor that um, wrote a book on mitochondria and... On, on which? Uh, Terry... Uh, um, Walls. Terry Walls. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I yes. know her. She wrote a, she gave me a, you know, introduction. I mean, authors and she's, she's got an amazing story. She has. Okay. Heard herself. We've had her on the show two times already. So, um, you know, uh, it was very instructive how she corrected her MS uh, through diet to yeah. basically a modified paleo diet. Mm -hmm. That's why we, we tend to focus on the effect of food on health, and that tends to be what we are interested in. Um, moving along, uh, as working in the Chinese medicine field, are there other modalities that you use to help your patients? No, I mean, like Chinese medicine, the way it traditionally was done was like diet was a component. You know, for instance, back then, if you're eating hot, greasy foods. I mean, you know, there'd be dietary recommendations. If you're eating excessive uh, cold foods, there would be, you know, like during this winter time, there'd be recommendations about eating warming foods, right? 
So that was a pillar. There was um, massage was a pillar. Um, Chinese herbs was a pillar. And finally, you know, the last resort was acupuncture. That's how, yes. what the evolution of it was. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I think I'm done on my side. Uh, Mark? Um, yeah, I'd just like to return really to, you know, the, the best sources of um, good quality dietary fiber. What would you recommend that people um, put into their diets, Warren, if they're missing stuff or you know, increase if, they're, uh, if they've not got enough? What are your favorite go-to foods for a good fiber? Well, I mean, you know, unfortunately, as I said, I mean, there's about a, overall, there's about a 60% reduction in fiber intake over the last hundred years. Mm. And, you know, food is so processed and stuff like that. So my schedule is busy. And so what I do, I try to supplement myself. You know, I have a oleosaccharide fiber that I use. Uh, and then, you know, generally I'm, I'm eating salads. I'm, I, you know, there's the, um, you know, I really like radishes and tomatoes. <laughs> those are all really great ones. And the asparagus and the broccolis and, you know, those kind of things. I mean, that, you know, some people shy away from. So, and then, so then the question is, how do you take care of yourself if you don't like, you know, vegetables is not your favorite source here? Hmm. Well, one issue with that, and, and that's why you see a lot of American kids, uh, refusing to eat vegetables is because from very early on they've been if they've been raised on the formula instead of mother's milk yep. they're already loaded with sugar yeah and baby food is loaded with sugar and so they're not used to any other flavors than any kind of sugary flavors uh, in France in comparison and I'm not saying it's perfect but uh, the tendency is to breastfeeding more, mm -hmm. uh, also to introduce baby food that is homemade mm -hmm. and without sugar and, uh, and introduce, uh, you know, uh, toddlers to real food very early on and a mixed range of real food. Uh, right. But nowadays everything's processed, everything has too much sugar in it. And now all of a sudden you have a kid that's hooked on, hooked on sugar which you know can lead to obesity and diabetes and so on and so forth. Very early on, you have child, childhood obesity that didn't happen in the old days, combination of bad diet, lack of exercise. You know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my mother would just tell me, get out of the house, you know, <laughs> go, play. Go, go play, go run your bicycle, go run with your friends, go, you know, do cowboys and Indians in the forest or whatever. But nowadays, kids are cooped up at home. They play video games all day long. They don't run. They don't bike. They don't, they don't barely, you know, break a sweat as, as it is. So um, that has a lot of uh, effects on one's health as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a, our kids today are concerned. I mean, I have a 19-year-old, and... You know, he was breastfed for four years, <laughs> and so, so we had to do a. Uh, my wife made a, an ancient grains cake for him of the shape of two breasts for his, when we were after four years. You know, we say okay, goodbye to the mate. He, he called them mesh. You know, so yeah. 
we had a whole ceremony for him to give up the his, the breast. But you know, I mean, it, it's the, the games have a detrimental effect, and the computers have a detrimental effect on their ability to focus and you know stay present and. And but again, you know, back our discussion about the shikimate pathway, the plant enzyme pathway, you know, if they're eating crappy food, that's also affecting the neurotransmitters. Uh, yeah, because about. typically, I mean, I see my son and, you know, he's, he's a typical example. Uh, when they're playing uh, video games, all they feed on is uh, cereals and uh, soft drinks. I know. I got the same son. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, buddy, you know, hit the road, get outside, and do something, right? Yeah. Another thing I've noticed, um, I don't know if you guys have as well, is the fact that people be have become very lazy eaters. It seems like they're not willing to chew anything or chew hard on anything. You know, so they're happy to move the, the jaw up and down, but actually bite into something, you know, like a, a raw carrot or um, anything with a, that requires a bit of mastication. People yeah. just seem to shy away from that type of food. It's almost like they can't eat it quick enough, so they don't want it. Yeah. Well, um, I've noticed, uh, at least in America, uh, compared to France, I'm not sure how it is in England, but there's this whole, um, what well, has become a culture because it's been fed by marketing, but there's, uh, you know, fast food, processed food, everything is quick, quick, quick. Mm -hmm. So people, instead of chewing on their food, they swallow their food. Yeah. They don't true. take the time to masticate, to add saliva, to start the digestive process. And I think that has a lot of uh, effects on, again, you know, typically uh, in America, you see a lot of, men, the vast majority of the men pass a certain age uh, with, a, with a belly. And, mm. you know, in France, we would joke that's a beer belly, but in America, it's a normal belly. Um, it, why? Because people don't masticate their food, so it drops almost not belly, you know, chewed on in the stomach, and the stomach is taking on all this volume, and it takes a lot of more work to digest that food because you have to break it down. The stomach is doing all the hard work that your teeth should be doing. And mm -hmm. uh, I suspect that uh, the reason for this uh, tendency for, uh, you know, a, a belly in this country is uh, absolutely related to the lack of chewing your food. And, and not just in chewing your food, but also enjoying your food. Like, tasting, enjoying the, the flavor of the food versus just like one, two bites, boom, gone. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you know, from my perspective, I would see like, so we talked about how the, the positive effects of short chain fatty acids and, you know, diabetes and obesity and things like that. Um, if, I mean, fast foods, I mean, that's going to be a minimal production of short-chain fatty acids, which are going to translate into fat, abdominal fat, uh, the brown, you know, the brown fat. And it and generally, it will accumulate around the belly there. Yeah. So, so if they're doing what you're saying, they're not, you know, masticating their food, 
it's breaking down and then they're eating, you know, heavily processed foods. Yes. That's, you know, then you begin to see that. Cause I've, you know, something I've always looked at myself, you know, with men, what's going on with that, you know, and it looks like they're almost bloated. Yeah. Well, I think that there's two things there, though, isn't there? It's not just the, um, how can I put that, the fact they're not chewing. It's also the ingredients in the food are causing inflammation of the stomach. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and bloating as well, obviously. Um, but when you're eating that level of um, garbage food, then it's going to cause inflammation throughout the body and all the problems associated with it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Warren, um, yes. a lot of the information that we've been talking about today is in one of your books, isn't it? Would you like to, if you've got one handy, if you can put it, put it up on screen so we can see what it looks like. Okay, you'll have to tell me if you can see it. Can, can you see that? Yeah, just come back a tiddly bit. Come back. That's it. You're my, and this is actually the shape of a mitochondria. That's is it my, really? <laughs> <laughs> they are weird. What the hell is that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was wondering if it was like a colon or something. <laughs> yeah, the colon, right. No, this is what the mitochondria, and each of these are like little, uh, little chambers where it's stepped up in energy, where the ATP is made stronger and stronger to drive these processes. Oh, right. So... So this is the book, and uh, and you can uh, find the book on Amazon, Your Mitochondria, or you can go to our, our website, my website, which is uh, wcargal, C-A-R-G-A-L.com. Oh, and, that's uh, nice and easy. Books, I have some free downloads if you're not sure about it. You know, we have products that we could use with the mitochondria to you know, for health issues, I mean, specifically around cardiovascular issues that people would want to consider if they already have those issues. Super job. And, and if they want to get hold of you personally, you're in Atlanta, aren't you? I think you said. Yeah, you know, you can, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. You know, mm -hmm. Send me a message or I'm on, you know, you can call the clinic and they'll put you in touch with me or email the clinic and, you know, look at that too. I'll, you know, I, I'm very interested in, you know, how people respond to these protocols. So I, I always like to talk and find out what's going on, you know, how you're doing with this. Okay, super job. Now, we, we've covered a lot. Is there anything that uh, we didn't ask you that we should have? No, I'm totally, I had a great time. Excellent. It's fun, it fun, you know, yucking around with you guys. <laughs> well, as you know, we don't take ourselves seriously, but uh, the that's always the key thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Alan, over to you. Yeah, but don't take seriously, but uh, when we get serious, we get serious. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Warren, for being on the local paleo show. And as we say in Texas, à votre santé, y'all. <laughs> I'm from Fort Worth, and we would say howdyos or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Warren.